On this episode of Creepy Cheesemith, you'll hear the history and spooky ghost stories from one of Australia's most haunted homes. The Monte Cristo homestead has been around since the late 1800s and since then has captivated many for its Victorian style decor and its haunting spirits. I also give a spooky update on a Harvard employee who was found to be doing the unthinkable in the school's medical department. Then, be sure to stay to the end for some listener stories that will chill you to the core. Come join in, if you dare. Hola mi gente, bienvenidos. I'm your host Lore, and this is Creepy Chisme. Some stories and info are not suitable for all, especially young children. Listen at your own risk. Hola mi gente, it's your girl Lore here with another episode of Creepy Chisme. How the hell are ya? Me? I'm alright. This past week I went to the Midwest Haunters Convention. It's a Pretty much for all the haunts in the area around the Chicagoland area, Northwest Indiana, and they all go here to promote themselves, show off their cast, and, you know, just what their haunt's all about. It's also for fellow weirdos like me to go just enjoy in the fun. Saw a lot of cool costumes, a lot of zombies, but that was mostly because they were going to do a zombie walk that evening. They had a lot of props and decor, so it was really cool to see, you know, the behind the scenes. And it actually made me feel a little bit more ready (laughs) to try a real haunted house this fall, which I've decided I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to do it. Hopefully I do not die of a heart attack, but yeah. (laughs) The convention was a lot of fun, and I'm glad I got to enjoy it with my niece. Uh, So that way she too can see like how it's all put together. And then hopefully she'll join me too this fall. (laughs) Attending some haunted houses. She's a lot braver than I was at 14. I mean, remember, I'm the kid who walked home from an elementary school haunted house because I saw a kid dressed as Michael Myers. Just awful and embarrassing. I was the biggest chicken. Anyway, I have a really good juicy episode for y'all today, so I don't want to waste any time, and I want to get to the listener stories at the end, so make sure you stay tuned to the end. They're really good. Let's get right into an updater story I've recently heard. Some crazy shit is happening in the world this week. I honestly had no idea what to choose. (laughs) So we're going to get into a few brief summaries of what I've read. To begin with, a former manager of the Harvard Medical School morgue, along with his wife and three others, have all been indicted for... You ready? The theft and sale of human body parts. Oh yeah. So these people, oh gosh, I turned Minnesotian. Is that what they called? <laughs> oh yeah. 
Is that how you call people from Minnesota? Minnesotians? Doesn't sound like something I've heard before. Anybody out there from Minnesota? Let me know what you call you guys. Sorry, I got excited. Well, not really. This is really disturbing, but it reminds me of, when I read this article, it reminded me of my episode on H.H. Holmes. Mm-hmm. So these people were stealing already dissected parts of cadavers, including heads, brains, skin, and bones. And then they would take them home and ship them through the mail, the U.S. mail, to buyers. Get this. So the main guy behind the act would even let the buyers come to the morgue at the school and pick out what they wanted. Corpse shopping. What the fuck? Now, this vile crime happened between 2018 and 2023, and Harvard claims that they had no idea this was going on. I hope so, Harvard. Now, they have fully cooperated with the investigation, and um, most of these bodies were donated. And uh, just to think of the complete lack of respect is just... I have no words. Now, according to the medical department at Harvard University, when bodies are donated and they're done being used, um, they get cremated and then they give them back to the families or if there is no family, they get buried at a cemetery in a certain area of the cemetery. Now, even crazier, though, is that these people who are indicted may be part of a bigger scheme nationwide. So they have had ties to a morgue in Arkansas too. Wow. I've always wanted to be cremated, but only if it's by someone trustworthy. You know, because we've all heard stories. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Now, it's noted that the manager at the Harvard morgue over this three-year period transferred 39 payments for human remains totaling 37000 $355.56 to one PayPal account under his wife's name. Now, one payment memo. <laughs> this is funny, but it's not funny. It's a really sad. Stop saying that, Lore. Okay. One payment memo for $1,000 read, quote, head number seven. Another one for $200 read, brains and it literally had like i i i and 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 brains <laughs> what the fuck have they never heard of like code language now the manager from harvard and his wife have posted bail and await trial the others have pled not guilty and it wasn't stated if they are out on bail or not but i'm assuming yes it is so messed up so i guess we'll be hearing about that later in the future especially if it's a bigger scheme but this also makes me wonder, who else is doing this? Who else is selling body parts? And who is buying them? That's what I want to know. Who the hell is like, yeah, I need a brain, a human brain? Other than like for medical reasons? Yeah, don't get it. I don't get it. So like imagine your friend bought a brain, a human brain, right? And you show up to their house and they're like, hey, look at this human brain I bought from Harvard. Would you not question it? Would you not be like, what? Why do you have someone's brain in your house? I want to know what they do with it. That's all I'm saying. All right, moving on. So the next story I have for you is actually really disturbing. Um, this past week, a father 
his name was Chad Dorman, was recently given the highest bond ever in Clermont County, Ohio. That totals $20 million. But when you find out what he did, you'll be okay with that amount. Now, I'm a true crime lover, and very rarely does a case affect me emotionally. It's scary, but I'm really good at dissociating from stuff like this. But this one hurt. So, trigger warning. Now, if you haven't heard his name yet, you will soon. This will be out in the news. Now, on Thursday, June 15th, police were called to a residence in the 1900 block of Laurel Lindale Road around 4 o'clock p.m. Now, as soon as police arrive, they find four people shot and wounded. The victims were laid in the front of the home. Three boys and a woman. Now, the woman had been shot in the hand as an attempt to save her kids. Yes, it was the mother of the three boys, ages three, four, and seven. The three boys were already deceased when police arrived. There was also an older daughter who managed to run and scream for help. And police on arrival also saw a man who later is identified as Chad Dorman, who was the three boys' father, sitting on the steps of the home waiting for police. Yes, their own father. He was immediately taken into custody and taken to be interviewed by detectives. Now, the following day, Dorman, wearing a bulletproof vest and crying his eyes out, was brought in for a hearing. The chief prosecutor spoke and said, I'm going to read you what he said, because I think it's pretty important. The trauma that this man has inflicted on his family, community, law enforcement, first responders, and all the rest of us is unspeakable. There has been a full admission in this case. The case is still new, we're still discovering facts, but the evil horror of what we know is impossible to process. In an act of incomprehensible cruelty, the father that stands before you lined up his three young boys and executed them in his own home with a rifle. In an act of desperation, the mother at some point grabbed the gun the father was wielding to attempt to protect them. He then went on to say one of the boys was able to flee, but Dorman hunted that boy down, brought him back to the property, and executed him in front of witnesses. One of the most monstrous, craven, cowardly acts that will ever be our misfortune of seeing. He also said, I've been a lawyer 35 years. This is by far the most sickening, horrifying crime I have seen. I can only imagine the terror that those little boys felt and experienced. No reason has been given as to why he did this, but I'm sure it's going to have to do something with mental health. Prosecutors say he planned this and knew what he was about to do. So, I'm sure in the coming days we'll have more details, but the judge did grant the $20 million bond. Chad Dorman remains behind bars until trial. But wow. Wow. The last story I have for you has been all over social media and all over the news. And when I wrote this outline, more has happened and more has been said about it. So a story recently broke that actually really blew my mind. The U.S. Coast Guard was launched after a submersible holding five on board went missing while exploring the wreckage of the Titanic. Now, I didn't even know people did this. 
Apparently, it's called Ocean Gate Expeditions. And this company claim they are doing everything they can to bring back to bring back the crew safely. Now, unlike a submarine, a submersible has limited power reserves and needs help from a mothership that helps launch and recover it. According to OceanGate, the submersible is made of carbon fiber and titanium. For safety, it has a monitoring system that analyzes the pressure on board. Now, the vessel also has life support for a crew of five for up to 96 hours. This happened on Sunday. Today is Wednesday. By tomorrow morning, if they do not find this submersible, we can guarantee that the five men on board are all dead. Now, like I said, today's Wednesday, so it's been, what, four days? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? About four days. Today, the fourth day, they claim to hear banging coming from the bottom of the ocean. So they they think the men are down there banging on a pole or pipe of some sort. That recently broke, like literally hours ago. There's also a lot of conspiracies coming out of this, but the biggest one is the owner of this company sat in on an interview where he stated exactly the same thing the owner of the Titanic said. When the interviewer asked him, if the submersible was unsinkable, the owner said yes, and he would put his life on it, and he would be in every voyage because nothing bad could happen. The interviewer then pointed out, isn't that exactly what happened to the Titanic? He laughed. I mean, coincidence? I don't know. Then there's a conspiracy that, you know, it cost a lot of money to go down there, okay? I think $250,000, mm-hmm. So yes, if you're pretty wealthy, you're probably the only one who can go on this thing, which I, uh, I know I have thalassophobia and I can't speak for everyone, but why the hell would you go? Uh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, there's rumor that it was some very wealthy men I know we're reaching the end. There was also rumors that it's going to be found and then these men were going to bank on this incident. I mean, I've heard everything. I've heard conspiracies that they've time-traveled back and... <laughs> and someone said they were the iceberg Titanic bumped into. Oh my gosh, it's just... There's so much. People are insane. <laughs> That's all I have to say. So yeah, I, I don't think they're going to find them. Here's what I think happened, though. I think because my thing is, how do you lose track of something that's doing an expedition under the water? Like, they've done missions before. So I just don't understand how you don't have really good radar to keep track of them, right? Especially these wealthy men, you know? So that's my first big thing. So they claim that it went down... And within an hour and 40-something minutes, they lost contact with them. Now, here's another thing that recently came out today. There was a man who used to work for Ocean Gate, and he was in charge of safety. Now, the submersible actually failed a lot of safety tests. The biggest being that the front view window of the submersible, the man said could only go down, you know how like when you go down into the ocean, there's pressure, right? So he said you can only go down about 1,300 feet, that the window can only 
take that much pressure. Well, Ocean Gate was taking these submersibles down to 4,000 feet. And he told them, you can't do that. Like, the window is literally going to explode. The whole thing is going to explode. Then he also failed the submersible with many tests that they did. So what'd they do? They fired him because they didn't want to hear it. Bet they're regretting it now. So yeah, so this is that the reason I'm telling you this is because my theory is if they immediately lost contact with it, it blew up. The pressure was just too much and it blew up and that's the end of that. And that's why they can't find it anywhere. The sounds, I mean, it's the ocean. Weird sounds come out of the ocean all the time. So that doesn't even, yeah. I will say if they show up tomorrow morning, I definitely, this was definitely a distraction. I mean, people are literally, all they're doing is thinking about these men who, as much as I want to not believe they suffered all these days, I really hope they didn't. I really hope it was a quick and painless death. Even though they're rich, I don't care. (laughs) I'm not going to be mean. (laughs) But anyway, those were the updates. There are so many other updates I want to mention. But let's move on, okay? I'll save those for another time. That's what happens. I find these updates and I'm like, oh, I'm going to save that. Oh, I'm going to talk about that. And then they just add up and then it's just like, oh, then I have to choose. (laughs) So hopefully I'll get to the other ones next time. But the world is a crazy place and shit just keeps happening. (laughs) But yes, let's move on so that I can get to my listener stories later. All right, mi gente. It's time to get creepy. Today we are taking a trip down under to New South Wales in Australia. Yes, this one is for all of my Australian listeners, which by the way, since day one, have been my second highest listening country. So wild, honestly. So hello, my Australian listeners. But it is here in New South Wales that you can find the Monte Cristo Homestead. Now, if you've never heard of this home, then listen the hell up because this shit's wild. What's up with me and wild? That's my word lately. (laughs) So the home itself is gorgeous. It sits upon a hill in the town of Uni, Juni, <laughs> too much wine, okay. It sits upon a hill in the town of Juni. It's a two-level Victorian-style manor. Oh, my favorite. Now, the hill it sits on overlooks the entire town. I picture, like, the house from Edward the Hedahans, where it's up on the mountain overlooking the colorful town, you know what I mean? <laughs> Great movie, by the way. So the Monte Cristo was built by a local pioneer. His name was Christopher William Crawley in 1885. So it's well over 130 years old by now. Now I'll go through its owner history in just a second. But today, the home is a museum that houses a lot of antiques. It's pretty much a tourist attraction. The home is also known for another reason. And the reason I bring you this story on Creepy Chisme today And that reason is that the Monte Cristo is one of Australia's most haunted houses. Now, the home has been on a lot of TV shows, including the Ghost Hunters International show in 2010. So let's 
go back to the beginning. So we start with Sir Crawley. He wasn't like a royal sir. I just like the sound of that, okay? <laughs> anyway, he was born in Sydney in 1841 to William and Jane Crawley. He spent most of his youth in an inner city suburb known as Balmain. It's here that he becomes interested in farming. So that's all I really know about his upbringing. Not much, you know, late 1800s, nobody keeps track of anything. So in 1860, he ends up marrying a woman named Elizabeth Carr. Now, Elizabeth was a, please forgive me, we're a jury, we're a jury woman. Yeah, forgive me for that awful pronunciation. <laughs> but they were pretty much a group of Aboriginal Australians from central New South Wales. They were known to be really good skilled hunters and gatherers. But also, because of this, sadly, Elizabeth had to pretend to be white to be fully accepted in society. After they got married, Sir Crawley bought two parcels of land for them in the town of Juni. They're a newlywed couple. They've got nothing going for them. So life wasn't so easy for the Crawleys. And in fact, they were struggling to make ends meet. Now on the property, they lived in a tiny little hut. Him, his wife, along with their growing family of nine. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mr. Crawley and Mrs. didn't let living in a small hut stop them from baby making, you know? Get it? <laughs> now eventually they moved into a, a bigger place. They built a brick cottage on the property. Now the first hut was kept and later used as a stable where Sir Crawley kept his prized horses. The small cottage they lived in today is known as the original homestead, which was then later used as a servant's quarters. So, in 1878, the Great Southern Railway line opened, and Sir Crawley was like, I'm banking off of this. So, he counted every penny he had and purchased a license to build a hotel next to the railway. Genius! Yes, the Crawley's Hotel was the only one in Juni, so visitors who came through on the railway stood in their hotel. Staying in the hotel also helped the town grow. The Crawleys became very wealthy very quickly and were also named founders of the town due to all of their wealth. Mr. Crawley was very liked by everyone and considered to be a very generous man. So yeah, early life paints the Crawleys as wonderful and lovable. So what happens then, right? What happens to make this home so haunted? Ah, yes, the home, or shall I say, manor. Manor just sounds so much creepier, right? <laughs> Anyways, so the Crawleys have pretty much built their success. They've started from the bottom, and now they're way up in society. So what does the top town resident need, right? A beautiful home to show off. So between 1884 and 1885, Crawley builds the Monte Cristo, a two-story mansion. And as I mentioned before, it towered over the town up on a hill so that everyone could admire it. So this was pretty much a symbol of how wealthy the Crawleys were, and they weren't afraid to show it. Go ahead, Sir Crawley, do your thing. Work hard, play hard, right? Now this home was carefully planned out and built very well. 
I guess it was built out of sandstock bricks that were fired on site, whatever that means. <laughs> Where's my construction listeners? What does that mean? But I'm assuming that's a good thing. Um, the bricks were then laid on a dry stone foundation. The construction was done so well and precise that today there are hardly any cracks in the structure. The walls of the home are thick and also made of solid brick, and the 12-foot-tall ceilings are elaborate and decorated to fit the Victorian era. The charm of the home remains unchanged today and still is as beautiful as it was when it was built. Now, the Crawleys opened their home to all. They weren't stingy, okay? They had a lot going on there. Monte Cristo was renowned as the region's social hangout. They had parties, fancy balls, dinners, sports, like tennis and golf. Yes, they had a golf course. <laughs> it was a place to be. So growing up here in Monte Cristo was also a good time. The seven Crawley children all grew up to be successful, productive people. They were well-educated and very talented. One of their daughters, Lillian, became a successful pianist and composer. Their son, Alfonso, also was a wonderful pianist. He ended up breaking the Australian record of practicing music for 62 years. Very talented kids. Now, Mrs. Crawley often compared to Carrie herself in a queen Victoria Manor. She'd always dress in black lace dresses with lace caps and stand-up beaded collars. It was said that she gave HBIC energy. You know, head bitch in charge. Oh yeah, she was very strict, very stern. Although to the outside world, she and the sir looked to be very loving and compassionate. They were the it couple, but on the inside... It was very different. Many staff of the Monte Cristo later in life spoke of very harsh mistreatment from the Crawleys, which is how some of the Monte Cristo legends began. Now, William Christopher Crawley died at Monte Cristo in December 1910. He was 69, and his death was very interestingly odd. So he had a carbuncle on his neck, and it supposedly got infected from rubbing against a starch shirt collar which then caused blood poisoning that then caused his heart to fail. Now, Mrs. Crawley was devastated. It's said that she spent the rest of her life, another 23 years, at Monte Cristo and only ever left two times, two times in 23 years. Damn, I'm a homebody. But what I realized after like five months, I was over it. During COVID, yeah. I can't imagine. So they also say that she made one of the storage rooms into a chapel where she spent most of her time studying the Bible. Mrs. Crawley lived to be 92 years old, which in the early 1900s, I'd say that's pretty damn good. She ended up dying of heart failure after her appendix ruptured. Now back then, did they just like label everyone with heart failure? I mean, when you die, yes, your heart does fail. <laughs> I don't know, just a thought. So the Crawleys were now gone, and the last family member moved out in 1948. And then the home sat vacant for almost a decade. In that time, most of the home furniture and decor had been auctioned off, and over the years, the home just kind of fell apart. It was vandalized a few times and just completely neglected. That's really sad. That is really sad. They had seven kids who were 
pretty well off and I'm sure they had kids and they had kids. Why would none of them nor the grandkids want Monte Cristo? Makes you wonder what really went on there. I mean, if I had a great great uncle who was rich and had a mansion on a hill in Australia and nobody wanted it, I would take it. So, finally, in 1963, Reginald and Olive Ryan decide they're going to buy the manor. And because it's in complete disarray, it's a mess. They decide they're going to restore it. The entire house. So the Ryans are fixing it up. They're trying their best to keep the Victorian-style decor and have it look like it originally did. Now, the Ryan family, they grew up around the area of Junie. So restoring this house, it, it did mean a lot to them. Because it was almost going to be torn down but they decided to buy it. 1960s, I wonder how much they bought it for. You ever see those listings where they sell like a giant house for a dollar, but then you pay insane property tax? I wonder if it was like that. But the Ryans are the reason that this beautiful manor stands today. So the Ryans were big into antiquing. I love antiquing. Y'all know that show, Antique Roadshows? Oh, does it still come on? I bet you it's, uh, I could stream it somewhere. Oh, I love that show. So yeah, they were big into antiques. Eventually, Mr. Ryan quit his five jobs to only be an antique dealer. He was banking on it. So the manor sort of becomes a showroom and a lot of people from all over are drawn to the collection that the Ryans have. By 1986, the home decided to open a museum, an antique museum. That also gave guided tours of the house. The Ryans and their five children lived in the home ever since. Today, Olive and her son, a famous stuntman known as Lawrence Legend, live at the residence still. Lawrence said his dad, his dad's dream was to share the home and its stories with the world. And he intends to continue doing so on behalf of his father. Lawrence is also the one who began the ghost tours because... How can an over 100-year-old manor not have a ghost or two roaming around? Okay, enough history. Let's get into the creepy shit. It is said that there are at least 10 known ghosts at Monte Cristo today. Olive Ryan says by the second day they had moved in, they knew the manor was haunted. She recounts that while driving up the road to the house, these bright beams of light were coming from the home windows. However, the home did not have electrical lighting at the time and only used kerosene lamps. Soon as the car reached the home, the lights were gone. 91-year-old Olive says, had she known the home was so active, she would have never moved in. But now it's her home, and although lots happens, she's never felt threatened by anything. Quote, I've had a hand on my shoulder. I've had my name called when I've been here by myself. I've heard footsteps on the balcony and gone out to find there's nothing there. End quote. Visitors beg to differ about feeling threatened. A medium who visited the home was struck on the head. One girl had a major asthma attack, but had never been diagnosed with asthma. Lawrence Ryan says growing up at Monte Cristo was normal. Yeah, weird things happened, but it wasn't anything anyone talked about back then. 
He claims that he has never felt threatened in his home. He claims that Hollywood is to blame for the fear of ghosts, when in reality, ghosts just want to communicate and tell their story. Wow, I've never really thought about it like that, but he's right. Lawrence's wife also lives in the manor and says that you can feel the energy in the home. Quote, someone can touch you, pat you, hold your hands, or you can hear some voices, end quote. So let's talk about the spirits that live at Monte Cristo. So apparently the Crawleys weren't too keen on having pets in the home. Ugh, don't even get me started on that again. <laughs> they just didn't like animals at all, which I don't really get because they had horses and probably chickens, right? They were farmers. But I guess they used them for show. So maybe they weren't affectionate towards animals. I don't know. But the Ryans said when they first moved in, their pets didn't even want to enter the home. Always listen to your pets, you guys. <laughs> and your kids. So they had a few scary incidents with the animals, and honestly, I don't know how they can say they don't feel threatened. <laughs> but you be the judge. So one night, they came home pretty late and found that all of their chickens had been strangled to death. They also had their pet parrot be choked to death while in its cage. Even more sad, they had a litter of kittens in their breakfast room and they were all brutally killed. I just had a thought, what if it wasn't a ghost but one of the kids? How messed up is that? But no, they claim it was paranormal. You never know. It just sounds like someone was consistent in their killings, strangulation, but I wasn't there, so just the detective in me. <laughs> but yeah, the Ryans are sure that it was the prior residents of the home who were not happy that animals were inside. The reason I thought that, though, is because that sounds like a vicious spirit, right? Because the Ryans then go on to say that the spirits of Mr. and Mrs. Crawley are so nice. How can they be nice if they're literally killing animals in your house? Now, Mr. Crawley can be seen and felt in the room where he died, but Mrs. Crawley roams the manor still trying to rule over the place. So even in death, she's the HBSC. Now they claim if she does not like someone who enters the home, she'll definitely make them feel very uncomfortable until they leave. I feel like that would be me as a spirit. <laughs> Mrs. Crawley also tries to scare people by touching them, leaving the skin feeling cold to the touch. So I do believe that the Crawleys are around. I mean, their energy, of course, right? That's their home. They built it. They lived there a very long time. So not surprised they're still around. Now, along with those two is the ghost of two mates. Here's where the chisme gets hot, y'all. You ready? So it's claimed that Mr. Crawley, Sir Crawley, got two of their maids pregnant. What the shiz? <laughs> Scandaloso. One of the women took her life because of it on the stairs. She is seen roaming the veranda and apparently there's a ghastly blood stain that was left behind where she landed. Hmm, she jumped, eh? 
just thinking, not implying anything. <coughs> Mrs. Crawley. <laughs> oh, I had an itch in my throat, sorry. Now the second maid who was pregnant went full term and had a son named Harold. However, at a very young age, Harold was in a tragic accident on the manor ground. He was hit by a coach. He didn't die, but he did get severe head trauma that left him disabled. Apparently, he had to be chained up in the coach room where he was looked after. Because of this, a lot of the local kids made fun of him because he'd just scream all day. Poor baby. He was known as Monster, and it was a sick game the kids would play, in which they'd try and discover where he was that day. After his mother died, the older boy now was found chained to his mother's bed and taken to an asylum. He died shortly after, and the ghost of his mother and him now haunt the grounds. It is said that Harold makes himself known by the sounds of chains dragging along. The coach house, which I'm assuming is like a garage-type building, correct me if I'm wrong, is haunted by the ghost of a young stable boy, Morris. No, wait, it just hit me. I think it's like where the servants stay, maybe. Because the story goes that he was not feeling good, so he decided to stay in bed. His employer, I'm assuming Mr. Crawley, or maybe someone in charge, was not happy about him staying in bed, so they lit the strong mattress on fire, thinking it would scare him into getting up. A bit harsh, but okay. But because he was so sick, the boy just laid there. Even if he wanted, he could not get himself up. Oh my god, if he had the flu, if you have ever had the flu, oh, oh I had it once really bad and felt like I got hit by a bus and I'm not even joking. So I feel that. Morris ended up dying in the fire and many have still heard awful screams coming from that area. Is it poor Morris still reliving that horrid tragedy? Then we have the ghost of Ethel Crawley. Now, Ethel was Mr. Crawley's granddaughter who died in 1917. Apparently, a nursemaid was carrying the young girl on the stairs when she claims she felt someone push her. However, no one was around. The young girl fell to her death. A lot of young visitors feel very uneasy while standing on the stairs. Some even feel angry and get mad on or near the stairs. Others have also felt a slight push, and in some cases, some have even felt a tiny, ice-cold hand grab theirs as they walk up the stairs. Oh, so sad, but also so cute. Just don't touch me, please. <laughs> There's also the ghost of one of the home's caretakers. His name is Jack Simpson. Now, Jack was shot in 1960 while out on the porch by a young man. Apparently, the young man watched the movie Psycho three times before committing the murder. He went insane. After the boy shot Jack, he carved the words, Die Jack, ha, ha, on a shed door nearby. It's still visible today. They haven't taken it down. Those are the most popular legends of Monte Cristo. The home also is known for disembodied voices, strange lights, a weeping woman, footsteps have been heard almost everywhere in the home, 
lights turn on and off, strange fog and mists occur regularly. A lot of orbs have been seen in the home and all over the property. A lot of poltergeist-type activity, too. Things being moved, things turning off and on, other than the lights. A lot of activity. And as I mentioned, Olive and her son and his wife still live in the home today. They all say it's haunted, but that they're not scared. Do I believe all the legends and stories? Hmm, I don't know. Some of them, to me, sound made specifically for a ghost tour, right? The bloodstain on the stairs, the carved die jack ha-ha on the shed door. To me, that sounds a bit Hollywood, Mr. Lawrence. But I do think they experience things in the home, definitely. I am confused about the whole... They don't feel threatened, but also some something's killing our animals and pushing people on the stairs. That's weird. <laughs> and sounds scary to me and threatening. As I mentioned previously, the home has been featured on many paranormal shows, and on most they captured some type of evidence. While researching this manor, it reminded me that of that one show on Netflix called The Haunting of Hill House. I don't know why, but like as I was reading up on this, I just kept picturing that house. I'll try to find some photos of the manor. Um, I'll post them on my Instagram. It is a beautiful place. I'm not going to say it's not because it's gorgeous. Today, the Monte Cristo is open to the public as a tourist attraction. And if you're brave enough, you can even schedule an overnight stay. If you're not up for that, you can just book a ghost tour. But those, I think, are only on specific days and times of year, and specific times of year. So, my American listeners, if you ever find yourself in New South Wales, Australia, take a trip to haunted Monte Cristo Manor. I love me a good haunted house story. I feel like that story could easily become a movie, <laughs> if it hasn't already. Mrs. Crawley gives me bad vibes, though. So she'd be the villain for sure. A beautiful home, but a lot of tragedy happened there, if the legends are true. Before we leave today, I have some listener stories about haunted houses, actually. Real ones. The first story comes from Mel. The subject caught my attention. It was, A Ghost Through Me. Oh boy. <laughs> I haven't read this yet. I like to wait until I can read it live so you guys get my first reaction. If I don't like the story or if it doesn't sound that great, I don't put it into the episode. But if you're listening to it, then that means it's made its way. So here we go. Hola, Lore. I am so grateful to have found you and your podcast. I am becoming a huge fan. You are so entertaining and most of all, real. I always feel as though I'm talking to a good friend. Y'all always say that. You must have some cool friends out there. <laughs> anyway, I've been wanting to write in for a while, and I finally worked up the nerve to tell a story I've never told to anyone. Ooh, a creepy chisme first. A few years ago, I rented an Airbnb in New Orleans. New Orleans. I like to say it like that. We had just got back from a ghost tour that took us around Bourbon Street. It was almost 3 a.m., and my boyfriend was showering because we had sweated our asses off on the tour. It's really hot in Louisiana during the summer. So I was laying in bed in this huge bedroom, 
It had all the charm an old Louisiana home would have. Made me feel as though I was in another time period, honestly. The bed was a king-size bed, and as we do at home, we lost the remote somewhere in the mess of blankets. I was on all fours crawling around the giant bed. I'm 4'7", so yeah, I'm tiny. As I was searching the sheets, something pulled my heel and dragged me to the edge of the bed. It happened so fast I didn't even have time to yell, but I had felt as if something took my breath away. Or maybe I was just too in shock. I was shaken and frozen. What just happened? I still couldn't scream. Whatever it was had grabbed my heel so hard it still hurt. I laid on the bed, speechless. Did it really happen? I think so. Who am I kidding? I know it did. But even to this day, years later, I still can't explain what could have happened other than a spirit. There was nothing my foot could have been caught on, or anything that came close enough to me to pull me. I was definitely spooked. Twenty minutes later, I think, my boyfriend came into the room. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to scare him. I didn't want him to laugh. I let it be. Until now. Only I have ever known about this. I think about it every time I get into bed. I'm not scared, but the thought does cross my mind. I think even more surprising that night was that my boyfriend got into bed and took the remote out of my hand. Was it there the whole time? I have no clue. Thanks for all the creepy chisme. Cannot wait to hear lots more. Mel. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> creepy for sure i have chills on my back nola is definitely haunted but the fact this happened after a ghost tour it's not uncommon that something follows you i'm curious if you had any other experiences since then Ooh. <laughs> my next story comes from saul and the email subject was i once had a poltergeist so you bet your ass i clicked on that <laughs> also, Saul is such a cool name. It reads, Lore, I'm a new listener but already love what I've heard. I can't wait to listen to more. I'm not big on podcasts, but yours is easy to listen to and very entertaining. I love your family episodes. I won't say how old I am now, but a very long time ago, when I was 12, my family and I moved to Laredo, Texas. We lived in a small... Laredo? I have a lot of family from Laredo. We lived in a small but comfy home, and it felt warm inside. We lived in the home almost a full year before anything strange happened. No one in my family ever saw anything, but weird things would happen all the time. The first thing we noticed was whenever we left the home, the lights in every room would be on when we got back. I swear, almost every time we left, this happened. Then if I would put something down and walk away, it would either be moved or gone when I got back to where I put it. My parents' car keys always would be moved. They would hang them on a wall mount and the keys would not be there in the morning. They blamed me and my siblings until it became a daily incident. That's how we knew something was going on. Other things happened too. Doors opening and slamming, lights always flickering, TVs turning off randomly while watching, we were more annoyed than scared, honestly. We lived with it for a while. We even had the house blessed after a few weeks. It continued on. When I turned 15, we moved out of the home. We bought a brand new, newly constructed home in San Antonio. I also have family in San Antonio. <laughs> Are we related? 
Finally, things were normal. But three months after our move, the same thing started happening. Not as often or frequent, but enough that we knew something was wrong. My mom's friend, who was a practicing healer, was the first to mention that it sounded like we had a poltergeist. I immediately freaked because I've seen the movie. But after looking more into it, didn't bother me much. We lived with it and when I turned 19 and went away for college, my mom said all the activity stopped. Was I the reason for the poltergeist? College was normal. Well, as normal as you think. And now I'm happily married with four kids and we live in a not haunted home. So I guess whatever was following my family or me decided to leave us alone. My parents still live in the home in San Antonio and have had no experiences since I was 19. I think it's pretty cool I get to say I was haunted by a poltergeist, but that's just the weirdo in me. Thanks for taking the time if you read this. I don't have any social media. Have you ever thought about doing Patreon? If you do, I'd sign up for it. Stay creepy, Lore. Saul, a poltergeist survivor. Just kidding. Kind of. (laughs) Love it. Wow, Saul, thanks for sharing. That was definitely interesting. (laughs) I've always been curious about poltergeist, and I do blame the movie for any stereotypes, so I understand why you panicked. I would have. But I think from what I've read anyway is that a poltergeist is a ghost that haunts a person, not a home. So wherever that person goes, it follows. I feel like it was definitely more active when you were younger. 12, I think you said. And it kind of slowed down as you got older. Or did it have to do with the area you were in? It would seem like it was a lot stronger in Laredo and a lot quieter in San Antonio. I don't know. Any experts out there? <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for that, Saul. Awesome name. Um, A Patreon is something I've thought about, but I feel like I need to plan it out a bit more. I'm not sure what I'd do with it. I have some ideas, but... We shall see. Well, what a great time we've had, mi gente, but it's time to go enjoy the warm summer evening. We've had some wild weather around Chicago, and it almost felt fall-like, honestly. I mean, I'm not complaining, but summer has finally showed up. Remember, mi gente, to follow me on all social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook groups, and don't forget to send me your creepy stories like Mel and Saul did to my email, creepychisme for you that's the number four y-o-u at gmail.com if you enjoyed this episode be sure to leave a five star cinco estrellitas review and leave a comment and hey i just might read it on the next episode also don't forget to share this episode with a friend or family member so we can continue to grow our creepy familia thanks for hanging out with me y gracias por escuchar y nos vemos Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, stay creepy and spread the chisme. Adios, mi gente.